Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. Good to see you. If you're joining us online, we're really glad that you're joining us as well. A guy by the name of Viktor Frankl, he was an Austrian neurologist, psychiatrist, really smart guy, did a lot of the ologist stuff. And uh, he also was an author, and he wrote a book called, uh, what, was, what, was, what was the name of the book? Hold on. That's embarrassing. Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, and uh, Bob Thompson recommended the book to me when we started this uh, series in James like three years ago. You guys remember that when we started this book? Uh, that was a joke. It's okay to laugh in church. Um, and Viktor Frankl said this. This is one of the quotes that stuck out to me. He said this. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. Now here's the significance of that. Viktor Frankl was someone who was in a concentration camp during the Holocaust. And he experienced a lot of suffering in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He talked about his experiences in concentration camps. Always being on the verge of death. Always trying to be surviving, working way longer than his body could handle. uh, Constantly being up against this prospect of being killed, taken to the gas chambers. And even he in the midst of that, decided to have this kind of perspective that anyone can take away anything from you, everything from you, and yet there's still something left. Your ability to choose how you respond to hardship, how you respond to the circumstances you face. And, you know, while all of us, we all deal with hardships, like anybody uh, ever dealt with a hardship, you can raise your hand, it's okay. Uh, All right, some of you haven't. Cool, good for you. We all envy that. Um, But all of us deal with hardships, difficulties, suffering. And yet, uh, most of us, I'd say probably all of us, we didn't learn how to deal with it in a healthy way. Because all of us, we develop coping mechanisms to deal with hard times when we are kids. And and last time I checked, uh, have you ever seen a kid handle something not going their way? Usually doesn't work out, right? Doesn't, Doesn't look good. And yet we learn how to cope with these things. And a lot of us, we've learned some unhealthy ways to cope with difficulty. And it takes some really intentional time as adults to work through those things and to approach hardship in a healthy way. You know, instead of really having that kind of perspective that Viktor Frankl talked about, some of us, we stuff our bad feelings because we became convinced. Somebody convinced us along the way. Maybe we caught this. Maybe we were taught that that feeling bad is bad. And so we stuff our feelings. We don't, we don't deal with them. We deny that they're there because it would be too harmful, too frustrating, too scary to deal with them. Some of us, we, when we are dealing with hardship, we become bitter and cynical toward people. Because it was their fault. And if I can have my anger and vengeance be taken upon them, then at least I'll feel better that I've got something to control. Some of us, we, we let go of hope because we've bought into narratives of suffering that that's the end of the story, the difficulty we're facing. That's the end of the story. That's where we'll be. We started to believe and started to see all the things that we've dealt with. And maybe you've dealt with some things in life that wasn't 
something you'd wish on your worst enemy. And all the while, you start to believe that that is what you should expect in life, that love is something really hard to even experience. Maybe you've never felt it. And so the idea that God would love you is really off the wall. And some of us, you know, when we're dealing with hardship, we, we do like the thing that we all kind of celebrate, and we begin to frantically act. We just get real busy. You know, that's why houses get cleaned really quickly sometimes, right? Because we're not doing well, and so we've got to control something because everything else around us is out of control. And a lot of us, we, we don't deal with hardship in the right kind of way, in a healthy way. And, and this is what Viktor Frankl said, like he's got some wisdom for us again. He says this, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. This guy who survived Nazi concentration camps during the Holocaust, he says, when we're no longer able to change a situation. You come up against situations that you can't change, Right? Because you're not Superman, you're not God, and we are presented with a choice. We become bitter and cynical toward the world, toward people, or we can, can become people who are open to the change that God wants to make in us. Because while Frankel says a nice idea, like we, we get to change ourselves, James wants to help us let God change us. Because he's the one with power to change us into the people he wants us to be. The people who, who emanate love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. All the fruit of the Spirit. He wants to allow us to be open to the idea that maybe the Holy Spirit can use some of the difficulties we face to change us. To where we go through the hardship we face in the future, we can do it in a better way. So... Uh, if you've ever dealt with some hardship, maybe you're in that right now. This message is for you. And maybe you're feeling like life is good right now. Put this in your back pocket. You'll need it maybe by Tuesday. Okay. James 5, verse 7. This is what Jesus' half-brother James says to us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. And is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Now, uh, good Bible uh, study etiquette and just tip for you. Uh, The first word we saw in verse 7 was the word therefore. And so we need to ask the question, what's the therefore? Therefore. That's a good preacher joke. Uh, Yeah, thanks. Wow, that was good. Uh, and because here's the thing. Uh, last week, James was having these words with people who were hurting these impoverished Christians. And they were the wealthy landowners. And they were uh, doing some injustices. And that was hurting these Christians. And so James, last week, in the verses that precede this, he's talking to them, speaking against them like an Old Testament prophet would. And he's speaking on behalf of these Christ followers to the oppressors. And so he follows that conversation up with saying, hey, this is not okay. You will be judged for what you've done to these people. And he follows that up, now turning his eyes from the oppressors to the oppressed, from the people who are hurting them to the people who are hurting. And he says, hey, therefore, because I've said all that, because this is what God is going to do to them, 
he says these words, and, and I don't know, this is what he says, let's just read it again, now that you kind of have an idea for it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rain. You also must be patient, strengthen your hearts, because the Lord's coming is near. Now, James said a bad word in there. Did you guys catch it? Did you catch the bad word? The icky word, the word we don't like? Some of y'all are muttering it. Come on. Patient. Patient. Who likes to be patient? Y'all can interact in church. It's okay. All right. Anybody? Anybody like to be patient? Oh, okay. All right. Got one. One. We need to sit down. I'll sit down. Let him come up. All right. He says be patient. Most of us don't like to wait, do we? Because waiting hurts. It's just frustrating, right? You, you, lot, some of you haven't been to the doctor in 10 years because you just don't like the waiting rooms. Notice I said rooms, right? You go into the office, you got to wait in the waiting room, the official one, right? And then what do they do? They say, they say your name and you're like, oh, victory. And you go out, they, you know, they may weigh you or something like that and they take you into another room. And then you, what do you do? You wait again. It's, a, it's, it's not even, it's just the waiting room number two. The doctor, the nurse comes in, right? And they check you out and then they leave and it said, the doctor will be with you momentarily, you know? And then you, what do you do? You wait again. It's terrible. And some of us have been to the doctor in 10 years because of that. Because we don't like to wait. Be patient. See, he also says this. He says, he, like a good preacher, he makes it plain to them with an illustration. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. In Palestine, uh, the bulk of their rain comes in the early spring and in the late fall. And in between there is a big amount of time to be waiting as a farmer, right? I'm not a farmer, but I just imagine if you ain't seeing some rain in months, you ain't feeling too good about stuff, right? And in, in the Old Testament, the, this, this illustration, the early and late rains, was often used as an illustration to prove and to show God's faithfulness. That, hey, I know that in the middle, it seems like there's nothing coming. But God always comes through. He gives you the rain in the early spring and in the late fall, and everything works out. If you think about it, that's how life is a lot of times, isn't it? There's a big gap between the refreshing time of the rain. There's a big gap with a messy middle where you're just sitting there and you're in your suffering, you're in your hardship, and, and it just seems like no one is helping. Like it just seems like the end is nowhere in sight and you're just sitting there in your difficulty, in your hardship. And some of us, we get to a point, right? If it's been long enough, it's been hurting enough, where we start to, God, where are you? What, what are you doing? Why is this happening to me, because sometimes in life, that messy middle, that time between the refreshing time of rain is long. And it can help us, it can make us question God's goodness. Because if you're honest, like I hope we can be honest in church of all places, in the gathering of believers. Have you ever had this moment where when life wasn't good, you started to believe? Maybe even for a second, maybe for a long time. When life wasn't good, you started to think that God wasn't good too. Have you ever been there? When darkness just seems to be crashing in on you. And you're frustrated. You're angry. Things aren't going the way you thought they would go. 
These, these Christians, they know what it's like. They wouldn't have written the script. How many of you would write the script of the hardships that you're in or that you faced? And yet, James is telling them to be patient in it. And, and I, it's easy for us to forget. Earlier in James, I know it was like 17 years ago, uh, James 1, uh, this is what he said back, back in the day, y'all. It was a Sunday uh, back in the day. Uh, verse 2, James chapter 1. Re- remember this. Consider it a great joy. Uh, this is what James says. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters. Oh, cool. Yeah, consider it a great joy. Whenever you experience various trials. What? Right? Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. It's a hard, that's a hard passage to like really let sink in, right? Cause like on first glance, it's like James, you on something. For real. You consider a great joy. You just like pain. That's not what he's saying. You consider a great joy because when you go through something, God's going to produce something in you that otherwise wouldn't have been produced. This is, this is what we as followers of Jesus need to keep in mind. When you go through a bad time, when something you experience suffering, hardship, difficulty, whatever you want to call it, God's not the one causing that. But he is the one allowing you to go through it, and he's walking with you through those, that valley of the shadow of death, because he's going to allow, he's not going to waste your suffering. He's going to produce something new in you that you can become more like the person he wants you to be because you grew through it. Are you growing through what you're going through? Those are the things like God wants us to trust him in the thick of the darkness. When it seems like we don't know where to go, we don't know where we're supposed to be. And yet we know in our best times that God is with us, and that's the thing we need to hold on to. Because some of us have a tendency to let go of our hope, even though we know that Jesus is not only going to come back one day, but he's with us right now. I mean, what does the psalmist say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, with me, with me. Exactly. Because Jesus is with us, We won't have to fear any evil because he's right there. And so that's what James wants us to grasp hold of. Not to forget the fact that in our suffering, in our difficulties, God's producing something new in us. But you know, like it's, it's hard because James says, he he says this, it's a cool idea. Verse eight, you also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Uh, there's a lot of fitness plans out there. Have y'all noticed that? A lot of diet plans, all kinds of stuff. Like, you know. And I, granted, I know that because there's so many plans out there, like, that doesn't necessarily mean we're all going to follow the plans, right? But why isn't there a strengthening your heart plan? This is what I know to be true in exercise and physical, getting physically fit and stuff. Is that in, in order to get physically fit, you have to pr- you have to put some stress on your heart, right? Some good stress. Your 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 heart has to be worked out. That's a sweat a little bit. Like your body, if you want to get in shape, you need to go through some some hard times of of stressing it out, sweating, you know, getting all yuck, right? You dripping, and you know that you're making some progress, right? 
because you're putting some stress on your body so that you can grow and, and your body can adjust and recover and then build up. Like, I'm not a personal trainer, but it's kind of simple stuff. Well, what if the way we strengthen our heart has to do with something else that's stressful? James is saying, if you want to strengthen your heart, you must practice patience. Like, practice it, y'all. We're talking about practice. If you got that, let me know after service. Uh, Some of y'all didn't. Most of you didn't. It's okay. (laughs) Patience is stressful, right? Like trying to just graciously wait. That's what patience is. It's not just like grinning and bearing, like, and, you know, like yelling at people while you're waiting. Well, I'm being patient. You know, I'm not moving, but I'm talking. No, patience is graciously waiting. That's a hard thing. It's a stressful thing to do because you're, let, you're, you're acknowledging your own limitations that you are not God, that you can't figure it all out, that you are kind of at the mercy of someone else or something and you're just sitting there and waiting. Patience is a hard thing. And if you want to strengthen your heart, you have to practice patience because by being patient, we strengthen the heart. I don't know about you, but I know I need a stronger heart. The last 18 months has shown me that. Has it shown you that? Do you need a stronger heart to be able to go through the stuff that you're going through and actually grow through it and actually be gracious and and be like someone who wouldn't be super surprised that you attend a church, wouldn't be like super surprised that you follow Jesus because like, oh, whoa, really, you? Because all you've been showing them is that you're angry, frustrated, and just ready to pop off on someone who says the wrong thing, right? Who needs a stronger heart? I'll take the mo- mostly silence as like, yes, amen, cool. I'll just amen my own sermon. That's fine. Verse 9 is what he says. Brothers and sisters, that means all, all of us, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. It's almost like the Bible's relevant to our lives today. <laughs> because what's true of the first century Christians... It's true of us too. When you're dealing with stress, when you're dealing with frustration, when you're dealing with anxiety, when you are hurting, it's easy to hurt others. Oftentimes hurt people. Hurt people. And they were dealing with the same stuff that we oftentimes deal with. And that is when we start hurting, when we start getting frustrated, things aren't going our own way, who do we turn on the the easiest, the most often? The people closest to us, right? The people we see on a regular basis, our friends, our family, people in our household. You know, like that, those are the people, the people we work with. Those are the people we turn on the easiest because we can't handle the stuff we're dealing with. And so we just start to explode because we've not learned to process. We don't process the stuff that's here. Whether you want to or not, we're going to start exploding. And that's what was happening for these first century Christians. Stuff wasn't working out. Their livelihood was taken from them. They were having stress economically, financially. They were having stress socially. Many of them uh, basically left their families because they followed Jesus because that was not okay for them, for their family. And so they're dealing with all these stressors, and yet they start turning on each other. I mean, have you ever been there? 
where like you are feeling it you and, and it's there it's boiling up you know it's like a pressure cooker and you haven't put the release valve on and it's not getting anything and then all of a sudden it blows up you blow up a lot of times what we need the most in those situations is for some people who are a little bit, they, they, they kind of see the, the reality, ultimate reality, what's actually happening, and they recognize that hurt people hurt people, that maybe the people who are complaining about you are really going through something themselves, and they can come alongside of you and even love you through it. What if we were the people like that? But James is clear, do not complain about one another. I know in the last 18 months, there's been a lot of complaints. A lot of complaints. We've not been being patient very well. See, when you complain, you harden your heart. When you practice patience, you strengthen your heart. How how many moments of gossip have sprung up by people you'd be surprised to hear it come from? Things that are, you know, secondary. How many times have we decided to, instead of patiently wait, we've decided to blow up and complain? We've all all been there. We've all done it. No matter how nice and proper you can make yourself look on a Sunday morning, that's the truth. And James is saying there's a better way. I don't know about you, um, but when I'm not doing well, um, well, okay, if you... A eh, month or two ago, something like that, in this series, you know, 17 years ago, I told y'all something. And I just kind of threw it in there. I didn't really plan on saying it, but the Lord just said, okay, let's just throw that out there. Um, I said these words. I don't like to need people. I'm, I'm the person who says, hey, guys, hey, church, we're better together. We need each other. And yet I'm the person who also says, I don't like needing you. I don't like needing people. I'd rather hang hang on myself. Because sometimes when I do let myself be in community or whatever, like be around people, I've experienced what a lot of you have experienced, and that is being hurt. So my trust levels aren't always so high. And so what I oftentimes do when I'm feeling hurt and, and dealing with hardship is I'll, I'll go away from the community. I'll go away from Christ under the community. I'll try and do things myself. Have you ever been there too? See, we are better together, church, even when we don't want to be around each other. <laughs> and yet that's something I have to remind myself of all the time. And I'm the one beating the drum, better together all the time. It's not easy because sometimes the people who hurt us We can project those people onto the people around us and start to think that they think the same way that the other people think about us. It's a really wicked thing because we all have false beliefs and false needs that usually spring up inside of us when we are going through hardships, sufferings, difficulties. You know, some of us, we have a false belief that our worth is tied to how many people like us. And so if, if people like us, then we feel good about us. If people like us, we like us. But then maybe someone criticizes you or complains against you or gets frustrated, maybe turns their back on you. And then the false need that it's not just a belief that your worth is tied to how many people like you, but you need people to like you. Otherwise, things fall apart. 
and all those things exposing themselves can be really hard to deal with. And usually suffering produces change in our lives, right? That's one of the reasons why it's hard. And all of us have assumptions going into and coming out of change. And sometimes those are shaped by the change. No, because of the change, because of the suffering, because of the false belief and false need not being met of you being liked by everyone, your assumption now is that no one likes you. That no one cares for you. No one wants to be around you. No one really means what they say when they encourage you. Have you ever been there? The question is, like, have we ever stopped to think, to question those assumptions? Have we started to preach the gospel of Jesus to ourselves against those false beliefs, those false needs, those false assumptions? See, a lot of times we need to do that in community because we, it's sometimes hard to see our blind spots (laughs) because they're kind of like blind spots. And so we need each other, y'all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book called Life Together, and he had this idea that... um, a lot of us, we kind of idealize Christian community, right? Like we, we think about it in its most pure form. Like everyone loves each other. Everyone cares about each other. We're, we're doing it just like Acts 2.42 and going on, 2.42 to 47. Like we're, we're like living it up. We're, we, we, are, we are the ideal community, totally separate and totally different from the rest of the world. We're, we're living it. But uh, some of us, we've been hurt by church people. We've been hurt by churches, And sometimes we can then convince ourselves that the way Christian community actually is, we can start to hate it, become frustrated by it. And Bonhoeffer basically says that if we allow our idealized version of Christian community to be the thing we love more than what Christian community actually is, we failed our brother and sister. Why? Because we need to love each other even in the midst of the mess of each other. (laughs) What we have to remember when we're going through hardship, and sometimes it's because of a result of someone doing something to us, is that they are in process just like you are in process, hopefully, of surrendering more of yourself to King Jesus and allowing him to shape your life more and more and more. That's not to create an excuse for them. James already told us last week that no wrong will go unpunished. It's clear. You've been hurting people. You need to repent. Turn back to God. Turn away from that. If you've been hurt by someone, rest in the fact that no wrong will go unpunished. That he's the one who will handle it. But even so, in the process, sometimes when it's our brother or sister in Christ who hurts us, we need to remember that God's working on them just like he's working on you, But he, he goes on and says this in verse 9. He's, he says this. Um, uh, don't, don't complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Don't complain about one another ju- so that you will not be judged. How many of us could withstand the pressure of our own judgment on someone else if that judgment was placed on us? Like how many of us have created such high of standards for someone else? And yet we ourselves, if we were really honest, we wouldn't even be able to withstand that kind of judgment. That's what James is saying. Some of us, we compare our highlights to people's lowlights. Or when we're feeling really sorry for ourselves, we compare our lowlights to their highlights. 
James is saying, don't get it twisted. Don't complain about one another. Because of this, look, the judge stands at the door. You want to complain? You want to gossip? You want to, you want to tell, tell people a piece of your mind? Remember, he listening. This ain't just between you and the person you're gossiping to. By the way, gossip is simply uh, information given to the wrong person. If you got a beef with someone, be a big girl or big boy and talk to them about it. Capiche? And trust that God's going to work through that. Patience strengthens your heart. Complaining hardens your heart. We want strong hearts, not hard hearts. Verse 10. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Sometimes when we are going through hardship, it can seem like it's in a vacuum. Like we are the only ones who have gone through what we're going through. That we are the only ones who can relate to us. We are the only ones who've gone through this and can feel lonely and isolating. We can feel like no one gets it. But what James is encouraging us in is this, that, hey, we are part of a long legacy of people who have been hurt because they followed Jesus, who have been hurt because they were faithful to God. Even when they were following God, they dealt with hardship and they dealt with it in a faithful, gracious kind of way. See, church, we are supposed to speak truth to power, just like the prophets did in the Old Testament. We speak truth to power from God's kingdom, from the way he calls us to do things, and yet we do it in love. Some of us are so excited to stand up and speak truth, and we forget to speak truth in love. And Paul is clear in 1 Corinthians 13, if you want to want to have these eloquent words, and you want to speak truth, and, and all this stuff, but you have not love, you're just a noisy gong, and no one likes that. It's not effective. People stop listening. So James is saying, hey, uh, if you want to do this, if you want to go through hardship in a faithful way where you don't lose your faith, don't lose your testimony, then, then take heart in the way that the prophets dealt with it themselves. They spoke truth to power. They suffered for it. They were faithful to God. Job himself, y'all. In, in Scripture, there's this guy named Job, and, and, and Satan basically takes everyone away from him. Livelihood, family, all gone. And yet he did leave one person in his life. See, Job was getting to this point where, you know, obviously it was hard. If everyone around you died and all of your resources and wealth went away, what do you do? Do you curse God? And this was the whole thing in Job. And and Job's wife, who Satan left to be with him, says, Job, what are you waiting for? Curse God. Curse God after all. Why, why are you not doing this? And Job resisted. It's a joke. And Job, like, Satan took away everyone except Job's wife. Right? His little undercover agent. It's a joke. You can laugh. It's fine. Okay. That went well. <laughs> So instead of us stuffing our feelings, what can we do as followers of Jesus? Instead of us stuffing our feelings, we can look our feelings right in the eye. Recognize that feeling bad isn't bad. 
that we often, some of us, need to feel bad more often because we look at a world that is, that is not honoring Jesus, that is not having the hope of Jesus in their life. We should feel bad about that. So instead of stuffing our feelings, not dealing with them or denying them, we can look our feelings right in the eye and work through it and deal with them and talk to them and have a conversation to work through the things that we're feeling. Not just stuff them and put them over to the side. Instead of us growing bitter and cynical toward people, we can just decide that it's worth more. It's better to love them through the frustration and recognize that they're on a journey just like we are too. Instead of losing hope, we can hold on to our hope and recognize that not only will Jesus come back one day to right every wrong, to take all your tears from your eyes and make everything right again, but he's also with you right now. You are not alone. If you surrender to Jesus, he's with you right now. And not only that, but when we begin to frantically act, instead of doing that, we can rest and be patient and allow God to strengthen our heart. See, uh, and back in 2019, the, the actor Kevin Hart, the actor and comedian, some of y'all heard of him, uh, he, he had started years before this car accident that he was in, uh, strengthening his body, starting to work out, got, you know, he's a short dude, but he, he's ripped. Um, and he got in this car accident in 2019 and it was terrible. It was a pancake. This car was just destroyed. And, uh, the, the doctors were concerned, obviously, for him to be able to live. Like that was the first concern. But then the second concern was a question of whether or not he would ever be able to walk again. And he was on a podcast in 2020. He did make a full recovery. Um, but he was on a podcast talking about this kind of experience and how he had started to work out and, and strengthen his body before all this stuff had happened. And he said that the doctors told him that if he hadn't done that, then the likelihood of him being paralyzed would have been much higher because his body being so strong, his muscles being so strong, were able to absorb a lot of the impact from the accident and keep him from being paralyzed and, and hurt even more. He broke his back in like three places and, and all this. And uh, that, that just that reminds me of the idea of strengthening your heart. Y'all, like we need not put this off. We need not put off strengthening our heart. Doing it in in an intentional way. Because there will be times that stuff comes against you and you experience stuff that could be your breaking point if your heart is not strong. If we go through life and we don't strengthen our heart, then we will not be the people that God wants us to be because he's calling us to be faithful even in the midst of the hardship. So strengthen your heart because Jesus is coming back. Strengthen your heart because Jesus is coming back. And he's with you right now. And the question is, how do you strengthen your heart? How do you do that? So I, I want to help us. Maybe a little bit of a strengthening your heart workout plan. Y'all with me? Yes. All right. Some, some of y'all are. Everyone else, y'all can just kind of hang out. That's fine. All right. Number one, this is what we do to strengthen our heart. Number one, be patient. I know. Be patient. Because when you are patient, you are, you are stepping into the space where you know that you're not in control. And you know that God needs to move. And you know that it's going to be messy. And yet, by going through that stress, your, your heart's going to be strengthened. Be patient. Number two, hold on to your hope. Hold on to your hope. So many of us, we are so quick to buy into a narrative that extinguishes hope from our lives. That's why we need to constantly be preaching the gospel to ourselves. 
Like somebody may have wronged you, but hey, I know that Jesus loves me. He came to this to this earth to die for me, to pay an infinite price because he uh, sees me of infinite worth to him. And so because of that, I, I get to be the person who, when God the Father declared uh, this upon Jesus, when he came out of the waters of baptism, the Father said this to Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, when we are in Christ, we get to have that same declaration given to us. I, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Through Jesus, that's what you get. And so it doesn't matter what anyone says about you or does to you. You are worth it to God who created you. And so we need to remind ourselves, hold on to your hope that not only is Jesus going to come back, but he's with you right now. Number three, commit to living in community. Commit to living in community. Who you got? Who you got in your corner who you can go to and share the stuff with. You know what I'm talking about? The stuff. The stuff of your life. Even when it's hard. Even when you don't want to. That's when we need to be stepping into the community even more. We're better together. Even when. It's hard to believe that. Even when someone hurts you. We're better together. Be, find you some followers of Jesus who love Jesus. And who love you. And commit to living in community with them. Number four, embrace raw prayer. Embrace raw prayer. And when I say raw, I mean raw. Some of us, we've gone through some stuff. And there's this thing in psychology that if you internalize everything, that's not good for you. You need to get things external. You need to get them out. You need to process things. You need to talk it through. And that's why if you go to the Psalms, y'all, uh, you, you may think, oh man, no one's dealing with what I'm dealing with. Go to the Psalms. You'll find language to put into perspective the things that you're going through. Because David and the rest of the psalmists, they'll be like, God, where are you at? Where are you? I don't see you. What's going on? You said you'd do this. Where are you? What are you doing? I'm hurting. People are coming against me. People are trying to kill me. What are you doing? Embrace raw prayer. Say the stuff. To God that you think you can't say to him. He can handle it. He can handle it. He's got big shoulders. And maybe maybe praying audibly out loud those things that maybe freak people out in your house or something like that. Maybe you get a journal. You start writing things down. And you get real raw with God. You say the things that you want to say, but you won't say because you live Jesus you love Jesus. <laughs> You say the stuff, you get, get it all out. Embrace raw prayer. God can handle it. Some of us, we've got so many years of just piled up stuff that's just been sitting in us. Things that we've thought we've never vocalized. Things we've thought we've never externalized. Things that we've been dealing with in our head. And we do real well to just let go of the pressure of all that stuff. Let it out and give it to God. It's important for us to pray. But it's also important for us to pray for real, y'all. Like sometimes we go to God and pray, God, thank you for this day. Please be with me. And uh, yeah, thanks for the pizza. You know? Yeah. Amen. I mean, we can thank God for pizza. Amen, right? Yeah. But like, is that it, really? You're talking to the creator of the universe, the one who's all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing. And that's all you got. Some of us, we need to embrace raw prayer. Get it out and give it to him. 
Number five, let yourself laugh. Let yourself laugh. I know for me, when, when I'm not, when I've had a streak, a period of time where I'm not laughing, I'm not having fun, that's concerning. Because I don't know if y'all notice, I'm a goofy dude. Like y'all thought it, I know you did, it's fine. But we all need laughter. Proverbs says a cheerful heart is like medicine for the soul. So you've been going through a drought of laughter. Get yourself around some people who can make you laugh. Go watch a stand-up comedian. Pursue that. Have some fun. Some of us, we're so serious about everything all the time. Don't take yourself so seriously. It's okay to have fun, y'all. And it's okay to have fun in church. It's okay to laugh. To let go. So, strengthen your heart. This is the thing. Number one, be patient. Number two, hold on to your hope. Number three, commit to living in community. Number four, embrace raw prayer. And number five, let yourself laugh. Uh, when I, in this, the first part of the message, I gave you a Viktor Frankl quote, but I didn't give you the context for it. So remember, this guy in a concentration camp, dealing with hardship, with death in his face all the time, and, and alongside of prisoners who had that same thing, the same experience, stuff that broke most of them. And this is what he said the context was for that quote. Here, here is what he says. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may not have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. In a concentration camp where you are on the verge of starvation, on the verge of death, people walking around trying to lift each other up, giving away their, their bread that they need desperately for their body. Not just because they're hungry, but because they're going to die without it. And yet, you can still see this thing to be true that we get to decide how we respond. So the question is for all of us, how will you respond to the hardship you face? How will you respond to the hardship you will face? Maybe how will you respond right now to the hardship you're facing right now that you're in the thick of? Or how will you respond to the hardship you're going to face? We get to decide if we will trust God through it or if we will allow our hearts to be hardened because we've grown bitter and cynical toward people. The people we're called to love. Now, no one said this life was easy. And if anyone did try to tell you this life was easy, they was lying. life is hard but because of Jesus we get to walk through this life in his presence leaning on his strength which is all sufficient he's all powerful so for all of us we have to ask, ask ourselves the question are we going to strengthen our heart now or are we just going to let everything pile on us and just go back to the frantic lives that we used to live when we were dealing with hardships we all get to decide. So strengthen your heart. Jesus is coming back. And he's right here now. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you knowing you are the king. You are the one worthy of our worship. 
And yet, God, I know that in a room full of people like this, that a lot of us have some things that we're holding on to. A lot of us have things that we have in our grip. And the idea of letting go of it is just so foreign because we've gotten used to holding it so tightly. Because someone wronged us. Because someone hurt us. Father, please, in this moment, help us to let go of those things. To start to trust that being patient in the midst of the messy middle of life is worth it. Help us to see the sufferings that we face with ultimate reality in mind. That we get to consider it a great joy because we get to grow through what we go through because of you. God, when we're struggling to be patient, when we're struggling to not be frustrated with everyone else and getting hard to love others, would you encourage us that we can trust in you, the one who came down into enemy territory to save your enemies from destruction. And not only to save your enemies all of us in this room and everyone in this world. But you invited us to become part of your family, to have belonging, to see you, God, as our Father, our King, the one we can trust in, the one we can go to when things get hard. Lord, would you equip us, Holy Spirit, to have patience well up inside of us because it's coming from you. We love you, Jesus. Please help us to see you right now. Help us to live for you right now and to battle through our hardships in a faithful kind of way. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.